So uh, this past week, I've been researching, and uh, we're going to be talking about a fellow named Bartimaeus today. And if you're familiar with the story of Bartimaeus, you might know that, that Bartimaeus has a problem, um, and it's that he doesn't see terribly well. And this isn't going to stay up here terribly well. Toss me that book. Thank you. Very good. So Bartimaeus doesn't see terribly well, and so I've got to thinking this week about the eye doctor. And I couldn't help but think that if all of us went to the eye doctor and we looked at this same chart, we'd all see just a little bit differently. If we went to the eye doctor and we said, hey, fix us up right so that we've got 20-20 vision, the way that we got there would be different for everybody. Now, sure, some of us would have uh, similar prescriptions, but there would be small differences in how we arrived there and small corrections. (laughs) Some of the people in the back row haven't heard a thing I've said. They're just trying to figure out what the smallest line they can read is. (laughs) Okay, nobody look at the eye chart. No, I'm just kidding. We would all have different prescriptions. We'd arrive at good vision from different directions. Some of you have incredible vision. Some of you could see the freckle on a fly's butt from across the room, okay? You don't need any sort of vision correction. (laughs) Some of you are like me. I tried to think of a good expression to match the freckle one, but I couldn't think of one. So needless to say, I have terrible eyesight. I just don't see very well at all, really. I, I, I go to the eye doctor, and they tell me, okay, read the smallest line you can see on here. And I say, black. And they say, what? Say, yeah, I'm pretty sure the letters are black. It could be dark blue or chartreuse, though. And I just have terrible vision. I just don't see very well at all. Uh, but a friend of mine told me that he didn't have very good vision either, but he discovered a way to beat the eye exam test. Apparently, this line right here is kind of the, uh, the gold standard for vision. And he said, you can, you can pass this by just remembering Defpotec, D-E-F-P-O-T-E-C. And so he would go to the... <laughs> The eye doctor in the room is looking with great concern that I'm spilling that secret. I'm very sorry. (laughs) So he said, it was great. I just memorized it, and I passed my driving exam, and everything was fine. Defpotec, and don't ever do that. That's called lying, and you shouldn't do that. The Bible says don't, okay? So we all have different things that we need in order to be able to see well. And if we went to the eye doctor, he or she might say, what do you need to see? What do you need to see? So maybe you're far-sighted, maybe you're near-sighted. What do you need to see? And when it comes to our faith, that's a question worth asking too. What do you need to see? What do you need to see? Some of us just need to see, period. Some of us need to see something else. And some of us need to see with Jesus' eyes. So what do you need to see? That's the question I want to wrestle with today. So if you would, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. We'll start wrestling with that. We're going to start in verse 46. Uh, If you don't have your own Bible, 
Uh, I'm going to have it up here on the screen for you. And if you want a Bible, find me after service. I'd be delighted to give you a Bible that you can have for yourself. So Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 46. Here's what we read. Then they reached Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus was sitting beside the road. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, many of the people yelled at him, but he only shouted louder, Jesus, or son of David, have mercy on me. And when Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, tell him to come here. So they called the blind man, they said, cheer up, they said, come on, he's calling you. And Bartimaeus threw aside his coat and he jumped up and he came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. My rabbi, the blind man said, I want to see And Jesus said to him, go, for your faith has healed you. Instantly the man could see, and he followed Jesus down the road. So let's start with Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus needs to see. He spent his whole life without that ability, an ability that many of us take for granted. In fact, he's so reliant on other people that he's not even known by his name. And Bartimaeus is not a name, it's a description Bar Timaeus. Bar is the Hebrew word for son of. He is the son of Timaeus. He's been so reliant on Timaeus and the other people in his life for so long that he's not even known by his name. He's known as the son of Timaeus. Now, a lot of us We start off, and all of us really are are known as the son or daughter of somebody for a season in our life, and and that's a fine thing, but we ideally grow past that. I remember when I was little, and uh, my dad worked at a generating station. He's been an electrician. Uh, He spent his career as an electrician, and so he worked at a generating station when I was little, and uh, sometimes I would go to work with him, and we'd see his coworkers, and they would say, oh, you must be Jim's son. We've seen your picture. And as a young fellow, I thought that was pretty cool. My dad was proud of me, and he showed his coworkers my picture. And I knew he had one hanging. He had a picture of me and my sisters and my mom hanging in his locker. And, and it was pretty neat, and I was, I was happy about that. But today, it would be a little bit different. Let's say we went to a basketball game together, you and I. Right, we're, we're at a basketball game together, and uh, you introduce me to, to a friend of yours, and you say, hey, this is, this is Tony. He's Jim's son. That'd be a little weird, wouldn't it? I, I'm not really known as Jim's son. I've got my own identity based on who I am and the things that I do. I'm Tony. I'm the preacher at Mount Tabor. In fact, when my dad comes here, the roles have really reversed. I'd say, this is my dad. And he's known as my dad. I'm not known as his son. Bartimaeus has never had the opportunity for his name to take on its own meaning because he's been so reliant on people. And so I can't help but wonder, I can't help but ask the question, what happens when Timaeus is unable to take care of his son? What happens when Timaeus dies? And we don't know this for sure, but maybe it's already happened because it says that Bartimaeus is a beggar. 
So maybe he's lost that person who is there to take care of him. Maybe he's a beggar because he doesn't have that person in his life anymore. Maybe he can't take care of himself and he doesn't have anybody around to help him. So they reached Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him, and a blind beggar, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus was sitting beside the road. And when Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So what do we need to see? Some of us are like Bartimaeus, and we need to realize that. Well, we could sure use some help. We could sure use some help. Some of us need to see that we're sinners. Some of us need to see that sin isn't a flaw that we can correct on our own, but it's a fatal condition that separates us from God. And you know, it's easy to think of sin like we think of our vision. And we go, well, yeah, I know it's not real great, But when I get some time off of work, I'll go to the eye doctor and we'll start getting that situated. We think of our life, our spiritual life that way too. And and instead of going to the eye doctor, we say, yeah, I know I'm not really all that great. I've got some problems. But when I get some time off from work, I'm going to start working on me. Maybe I'll even go to church and we'll start working in that direction. I need for you to understand I need for you to understand that when it comes to the sin in our lives, we don't need a prescription. We need a miracle. But God gave us one, and his name's Jesus. We'll get a little bit more into him here in a second. See, addressing our sin isn't a matter of doing more good than bad. Because when we sin, what happens is we're saying to God, I don't need you. I don't need you. Paul describes it this way in Romans chapter 1, and I've always found this verse striking. Verse 18, he says, But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful and wicked people who suppress the truth, who suppress the truth by their wickedness. In other words, when we sin, we ignore what God has shown us to be right. That's a big deal. I don't know if I can really think of any higher form of disrespect than to ignore someone. To ignore someone. See, when we sin, we're saying, God, I don't need you. I don't need your truth. I don't need your help. I don't need you around, God. I've got this. And here's the scariest part for me. When we say that, you know what God says in response? Okay. All right, you can do that. He says, okay. And that's terrifying to me that I have the ability to make a choice with such intense and long-lasting ramifications. And God says, okay. And sure, he says, okay, but that's just the first part of the sentence. Here's the rest. He says, okay, but if you ever want to come back, I'll be right here. Some of us need to see that returning to God is worthwhile. Some of us are like Bartimaeus, and because we've drifted from God, we've lost the identity that we had. We don't have one. 
See, instead of having a name, we have a sin that describes us because what sin does in our lives is it steals our identity. It steals our identity. Let me give you an example. That's, that's the guy who always loses his temper at basketball games. Oh, that's the lady who lies about everything. Oh, that's the man who flirts with everyone but his wife. Oh, that's the woman who gets fall down drunk every night. Oh, that's him. Oh, that's her. Oh, that's, oh, that's, oh, that's. See, sin steals our identity. And I need you to see something. I need you to see that Jesus didn't come to condemn you. He came to give you a new identity. I want you to look at this from Galatians chapter 3. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. See, sin steals our identity. God gives us an identity as his children. You're no longer that man that loses his temper at every basketball game. You are a child of God. But that only only comes when we realize that on our own, we're not okay. That hope only comes when we see our need for God. And when we see that, like Bartimaeus, we cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So I don't know, maybe you're here today and you need to stop listening to my sermon for just a minute. Boy, I never thought you'd hear those words in church, huh? Stop listening to my sermon for a minute. Maybe you're here today and you need to stop listening to the sermon and pray this prayer, Jesus, help me see. Maybe that's you. Maybe you need God to help you see that the way you've been living your life is wrong. But there's a better way. That following Jesus will make a difference beyond our ability to understand. If that's you, I want you to just stop and pray, Jesus, help me see. Some of us need to learn to see. And some of us are being blinded by the things we're looking at. So earlier in Mark chapter 10, There's this short story about a group of parents who bring their children to Jesus, and they want Jesus to to heal their kids and bless their kids. And, And here's what Mark says. He says, one day, some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them, but the disciples scolded the parents for bothering Jesus. So... This is an interesting story, especially in light of the fact that that Jesus has taught this lesson a couple of times now, and the idea that he's taught is this. Nobody is unimportant to God. And from the other side, no Christian is too important for somebody else. Even though Jesus has taught this lesson, the disciples still seem to struggle in applying it. They were struggling with the idea of Jesus and Jesus having the time for little children. Because little children in the Jewish world of the first century, this is going to sound bad, but they really just weren't all that important. You had kids and kids did kid things, but kids didn't matter in grown-up things because they didn't contribute a whole bunch. 
And so why would Jesus, who is coming to establish a kingdom, spend time dealing with little kids? And Jesus has said, no, that's not the way this works. See, the disciples were more concerned with Jesus' kingdom and being recognized in that kingdom. That's why we have accounts of the disciples arguing among themselves, hey, which one of us do you think is the best disciple? I think I'm the best disciple, but Peter thinks he is. What do you think, Andrew? So in chapter 10, James and John come to Jesus and they say, hey, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you on your right and on your left. They were focused. They were consumed about having prominent positions. They were consumed with being powerful in Jesus' kingdom. Here's the problem. When the disciples were focused on power, they were blind to people. When they were focused on power, they were blind to people. Some of us can see, but the thing that we've been focusing on is blinding us. So several years ago, I, I heard a, a minister give his testimony, and uh, I, I heard this in a sermon, but full disclosure, I cannot for the life of me remember the minister who gave this testimony. I looked for it all week, but, and I wanted to be able to give you this reference, um, but I could not find it. So I'm telling this uh, from my best recollection of the story from several years ago. So just full disclosure on that. So I heard this minister, and he gave his testimony about becoming fixated with another woman. And, and she worked at the gas station, and so he would see her several times a week when he went into the gas station. And he began looking forward to his gas station trips. He began looking forward to his trip to the gas station so much that when he was at home with his family, he started wishing that time would pass more quickly so that he could go to the gas station. And as this cycle continued, he started inventing reasons to go to the gas station. And he became fixated on this woman at the gas station. And he's inventing reasons to go to the gas station. And now when he's at home with his family, he's not thinking about honoring God. He's not thinking about loving his family as he does things around his house. He says, I wonder what the woman from the gas station would think about this. I wonder if she would be impressed by this and he realized that he was being consumed by this. And his, his conclusion was so striking to me. He said, I spent my whole life living for a two-minute encounter at the gas station. I lost 23 hours and 58 minutes a day because I was consumed with the lady at the gas station. You see, some of us can see, but the thing we see is blinding us. Some of us can see, but the thing we see is blinding us. And maybe it's not the person at the gas station or the bank or the grocery store or your job. Maybe it's the time you spend playing Xbox. Maybe it's the time you spend working when you get home from work. Maybe it's a TV show. Maybe, just maybe, it's your phone. Some of us can see, but the thing we see is blinding us. And we just need something else to look at. 
can I give you a suggestion about what something better to look at might be? Hebrews chapter 1, 12 says it this way, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge cloud of witnesses to this life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Now, we can read verse 1, and we can pretty easily say, yeah, that sounds good, I want that. That sounds like a great way to not get blinded by the things we are looking at. The problem is we don't seem to have any indication as to how to accomplish that. Let's read the next verse. We do this. It's literally how the next verse starts. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. And think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people so that you won't become weary and give up. So some of us are looking at things that are blinding us. Paul says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the champion and perfecter of faith. So why is Jesus the champion and perfecter of faith? Because he endured the cross and disregarded its shame. Now, Jesus is at the right hand of the throne of God. So when you're feeling exhausted by life, When you're feeling beat down and broken down by all of the things that happen and all of the situations that wear you out on a daily basis and all of the discouragement and you have all of the temptation in the world to go back to your previous habits and the sin that so easily entangled you, consider Jesus who endured an incredible amount of hostility against himself so that you can be freed. And be encouraged by that. And by his example, don't give up. Let that motivate you to keep going. So maybe you're here today and you've been fixated on something that's been blinding you. Maybe you've been fixated on something that's been blinding you to everything around you. Here's what I want you to pray. Jesus, help me see you. Help me see you. Some of us need to see. Some of us need to see Jesus. And some of us need to see with Jesus' eyes. Some of us need to see with Jesus' eyes. So, let's go back to Bartimaeus. The, the disciples and Jesus, they reached Jericho. And as Jesus and his disciples left town, there was a large crowd that followed him. And a blind beggar named Bartimaeus was sitting beside the road. When Bartimaeus heard Jesus, of, heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And here's what the people responded. He said, be quiet. Be quiet. Be quiet, Bartimaeus. Just, just be quiet. Jesus is leaving town with his disciples and there's a large crowd of people that are following Jesus and somebody who needs Jesus shouts to him and the people who are following Jesus respond with, be quiet. Be quiet, Bartimaeus. We're trying to hear Jesus. Or maybe, Bartimaeus, shut up. 
just go away, find a different street corner to beg on. Or maybe even Bartimaeus, go beg somewhere else. We don't want Jesus thinking about a blind beggar when he thinks about our town. Ooh, that's another sermon. Here's something we can't miss. The people who were listening to Jesus are the ones who got it wrong. The text says they were following Jesus, but the truth is they didn't know what it meant to follow Jesus. You see, it's possible to listen to Jesus and miss the heart of his message. And let me bring this around to us. It's possible to come to church every Sunday and miss the heart of Jesus' message. So here's what I need for us to know. Here's what I need for us to know as we think about the heart of Jesus' message. Here's what I need for us to know as we think about what Jesus needs for all of us to know. He didn't come into the world to condemn people. He came into the world to save people. He came into the world to give us a gift, a gift that none of us deserve because all of us have said, God, I don't need you. All of us have said, God, I've got this on my own. I can handle it. I'm fine on my own. And God gave us the gift of his attention and his affection. And he served those of us who said, I don't need you. He served us by dying for us. And he lived for us so that we can live with God. When we commit to following Jesus, we commit to living that way too. And I know, listen, listen, I know, I know, I know, I know it's easy to react to a fallen world with the same aggression that they show the church. But can I tell you that that doesn't show people the heart of God? Jesus said some difficult things in his ministry, but maybe the most challenging thing is this. If someone slaps you on the cheek, offer the other cheek also. You ever thought about that verse? That's one of those verses we wish Jesus didn't say, isn't it? Like, can we just find a manuscript that didn't have that verse in it and we'll use that one? That's obviously the most accurate, right? No, Jesus said that. He said, when somebody slaps you on the cheek, offer the other cheek also. Can I just tell you, Jesus doesn't think it's hilarious when people get slapped, okay? He's not the host of one of those weird Japanese game shows, okay? Right? Jesus doesn't think it's hilarious when people get slapped. Here's what he's saying to us. He's saying it's worth suffering to show the love of God. It's worth suffering to show the love of God. So when your coworker who makes fun of you every day for being a Christian loses a loved one and you take him a meal, how loudly do you think that speaks about the love of God? By the way, Jesus has the right to say this. Jesus has the right to say this because he allowed himself to be arrested and mocked and beaten and crucified and killed so that everyone who has ever sinned might be forgiven. So I need for all of us to see, I need for all of us to see that Jesus did suffer to show us the love of God. And he calls us to live that way too. 
You know, whenever I'm on 135 heading south, I, I see this billboard just outside of Pekin, and it always makes me smile. Here's what it says. It says, fear is contagious. So is hope. And I like that. Fear is contagious, but so is hope. In church, that's how Jesus calls us to live. See, the church is the one place in the entire world where hope should never be in short supply. Here's why. Because nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord, the church is the one place where hope is never in short supply because our hope is not in us. Our hope is in Jesus. We have been shown the incredible grace of God. We are no longer identified by our sins. We are no longer known as a sinner. We are a child of God. And our job is to share that hope with a world that needs it. So I want you to look around. I want you to look around this room this morning and I want you to notice who isn't here. Who do you interact with on a daily basis? Who do you know well? Who's your neighbor that isn't here? Do you see who isn't here today? I want you to share that hope with them. The hope that you have in Christ, I want you to share that hope with them. Don't share your judgment. Share your hope. So if that's what you need to see, if you need to see that that's the way God calls us to live, to share our hope, not our judgment, I want you to pray this prayer today. Jesus, help me see like you. Help me see like you. Because I know it's possible to follow Jesus. I know it's possible to hear the words that are actually coming out of Jesus' mouth and still say, Bartimaeus, be quiet. Jesus, help me see like you. Some of us need to see. Some of us need to see, period. Anything would be helpful. Some of us need to see something else. Some of us need to see with Jesus' eyes. And those are different stages of discipleship, but the way that we arrive at all of them is the same. We follow Bartimaeus' example and we cry out to Jesus. We cry out to Jesus. So maybe you're here today and your prayer is, Jesus, help me see. If that's you, I want to invite you to come and commit to following Jesus today. I want to invite you to admit that you don't have it all together. I want to invite you to admit that you see that your life isn't just fine on its own, that your sin isn't something you can handle when you get around to it, that you really do need God. So give it to God. And I want to invite you to be baptized today. Why? For the forgiveness of those sins that you don't have under control and the gift of God's Holy Spirit. And when you do that, you're no longer Bartimaeus. You're a son or a daughter of the living God. 
So maybe you need to be baptized today. I think you should be. So we'll sing a song here in a second. The worship team's ready to roll. And if that's you, come up. We'll baptize you today. Or maybe you're here today and you need to repent of the fact that you've been looking at something that's been blinding you. Maybe your prayer today is, Jesus, help me see you. So if that's you, I think you should have that conversation with God. Say, God, I've been living my life for two minutes at a time, and I've been missing 23 minutes and 23 hours and 58 minutes a day. I think you should have that conversation with God today. Or maybe you're here today and your prayer is, Jesus, help me see like you. If that's you, I want to challenge you to something. I want to challenge you to starting every day this coming week with this simple prayer. Before you, before you do anything else, while you're still in bed or right after you get out of bed, drop down to your knees and pray this simple prayer with me. Jesus, help me see like you. So I guess we'll end where we started today. What do you need to see? Let's stand together and sing.